on the show, man. It's uh, it's pretty fun. I'm a I'm a, a huge hockey fan, though. I'm a Sabres fan. I know you never played for them, but uh, I'm sure you played against them. <laughs> I am a, I am a Buffalo fan, true and true. So we are um, whatever whatever that means about me. It's 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 probably true. Uh, but I, can you introduce yourself for everyone? Because I'm I'm so excited to have you part of this. But I'm I'm sure probably uh, uh, at least some of my audience has never heard of you before. So I'd love I'd love for you to just give people a little rundown of 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 what you're all about in your career sure thank you ryan and uh, i know one thing about you as a buffalo saber fan is that you are a very resilient guy they're certainly going to be good one day because they have uh, you know many high picks and uh, many good players <clears throat> but buffalo has struggled haven't they yeah yeah, they have. I, I yeah, yeah, they they have for struggled for sure. Yeah, and and I and I think it it probably, you know, that comment that you know, just you and I know there's ebb and flows in life, and in business and in the NHL, and uh, you know, I remember uh, many times playing in Buffalo when they were an amazing team. You know, they had the the French connection yeah. moving. Now that's. I'm an old, I'm an old timer, so I remember all of that. But uh, yeah, so my my career, um, I'll go backwards a little bit, <clears throat> just for your people, and uh, welcome everybody uh, that's listening in here. Um, welcome to our time together. I started my uh, sort of my process, and I guess you would call it my journey, uh, way back in Vancouver, British Columbia. And so I'm a Canadian kid that grew up in BC and just loved the, the, the I love sports, loved the world of hockey, loved a lot of things. Came, you know, come from an amazing family, and uh, and you know I just progressed. So 15 years old, I left home to play junior hockey. Um, you know, I'm I'm moving. Our team gets moved to Seattle. I get drafted out of Seattle. Uh, to the Washington Capitals, and I'm fortunate to be drafted number two in the world. So it was uh, sort of a fun uh, process up until that point. But I, I, you know, there's always a backstory, and one of the things that people don't know, and one of our goals together is I want to take you inside some dressing rooms. Everybody sees the on ice product, but very few people get inside the dressing room. And that's what we'll do at the conference. We're going to take you inside and not just show you how to do things. That's the game. But, but why, why we do what we do and, and what the back, the back story is. So the back story to me being a young um, high draft pick was that at 16 years old, I, I pretty much blew my knee out and had to rehabilitate that knee. And, and the pain that I went through to uh, rehabilitate the knee probably told me that, uh, you know, I had what it, what it was going to take, uh, the resilience that it was going to take to play at the highest level. So there's always, uh, you know, there's always a backstory to people's success. Uh, I, I'm into Washington, Ryan. Loved playing for the Washington Capitals. <clears throat> was the captain there in my second season. Um, and all was going well. Four years uh, into my uh, career, I got traded to the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, the Montreal Canadiens, obviously, what a change. And we're actually going to talk about culture. 
and the differences uh, uh, between language in culture and language and its effect on performance. So I'll give you an example. In the Washington Capitals dressing room, we were a team that, that had not made the playoffs yet and lost a lot. And the language, the, the basic concept of language in that dressing room uh, was all around blame. So here's what I've learned is that teams that lose and people that consistently underperform blame. And so that whole concept was such a grow up time for me. And I'm not pointing fingers. I was in leadership on that team. Then I get traded to the Montreal Canadiens, and we'll talk a lot about that dressing room and how it impacted my performance. Uh, The Canadiens had just come off six Stanley Cups in the 70s. And as I got into that dressing room, traded to the team in 1982, one of the key pieces of language that I remember in that dressing room was no excuses. So what a difference that makes. Right. It's now and I learned over the process of my career that it took as much energy to blame others uh, than it did to take personal responsibility uh, to just get the word, just get it done. And so that was a huge transference in my life. And we'll spend some time on just, you know, listening into the language uh, that people and cultures tend to generate and, and how to shift that language. Then I got, uh, we won a Stanley Cup, Brian, in 1986, and we'll pass that ring out to your people at the conference. Uh, and I got, I got moved, traded to the Vancouver Canucks late in my career and spent the last two years in Vancouver. Did some broadcasting on television, was an assistant coach for the Vancouver Canucks for a while. Well, and I'm a curious guy. That's maybe one of the things that your people need to know about me. Um, that that I, I went back to school at 45 years old and did a master's degree in, in leadership business. I wanted to learn, you know, the, the, the why behind the leadership. Why, why do some teams uh, win and other teams lose when they have the same talent? And, and those will be the, the types of things that we'll spend time figuring out together. Um, and for the last 25 years, I'm, I'm going to be 60 in, in April. Uh, for the last 25 years, my wife Jenny and I have been speaking and training, uh, you know, corporate companies all over the world, basically, but primarily the U.S. and Canada. So that, that gives you a little bit of a backstory. Um, maybe the most important part is that Jenny and I have five amazing kids and five incredible grandkids right now. <laughs> so we, we have an expanding team uh, that we love to spend time with. Uh, that's I mean, that's phenomenal. I think, you know, one of the things that really drew you to me, and I, and I have to give credit to, to Jeff Roy um, for introducing us, and, and we spent about an hour on the phone talking and talking about the conference and and um, and your philosophy on, on and, and mostly what you discussed. And I, to me, and especially as I've grown in my own career, um, I recently took a, a, a leadership position in my own company. And you know, I guess my first question for you, uh, you know, I, I'm in what you would consider an official leadership position in my company today, but I don't 
feel that much different than say a year ago when it wasn't really an official leadership position. I was more part of the team, right? Um, Like, I guess, why does it, it feels to me like some people, some people are under the impression that leadership is a position, um, not a way of thinking. How do we, how do we work through that? Does my question make sense? Like it, it feels yes. almost like they need permission to be leaders. How do we work through some of that stuff? Yeah. And yeah, I love your, I love your thought there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, we, we say, so here's how we put it, uh, that, you know, many people see leadership as a position and not a process. And, and, and leadership is, is really, uh, you know, John Maxwell suggests that leadership is influence. So how do we highly influence, you know, the people around us? And the key component there is that, is that leaders need to be the leadership capacity of your company must uh, be, you know, a, a, a deep and, and, a, and a, a breadth uh, throughout the company. It can't be one person. And so what we've sort of coined a little bit, uh, Ryan, and maybe this uh, helps you, is that uh, in in 2018, in the old days, let's go backwards, in the old days you could have one leader that told everybody what to do, and then they'd all come back the next day and he'd tell them what to do again. Well, uh, you know, life and, and business is moving so fast now, and it's so it's so spread out. I mean, that just isn't efficient. And so our process around leadership is leaders leading leaders and leaders following leaders. There is no uh, actual <clears throat> room for following uh, or followers. So we're gonna we're in a leadership capacity. We need to grow ourselves as a leader because the higher that we can grow ourselves as a, as a leader, independent of the position that we have the greater opportunity for us personally and corporately. And, and I think that the other thing that that sort of idea does is it, uh, it, it moves people out of the blame. You know, it's not my responsibility. It's his responsibility into the accepting responsibility into the no excuses uh, dressing room that says, no, you know, I'm a leader and, and I need to take responsibility for the things that I can do. So I, I think what you just said is the perfect connection uh, to some of the learnings that I had at the NHL level. Yeah. What, you know, how do you work through, I, I have been part of, and, and I was, um, I don't know if I told you this, certainly not at the level that you were, but I played uh, college baseball and then played a little semi-pro, actually in D.C. Uh, for a while, which semi-pro basically means they paid for the uniforms. That's Let's just be clear. I wasn't being paid to play. Um, uh, for a couple years after that, and um, I've been part of, you know, you, you describe the difference between the the capitals at the time between their dressing room and the Canadians. And I, I have been part of, of both of those before. Um, I guess in my world, they'd be dugouts. And I, you know, I, I don't know that. And, and I, I love your thoughts on this. And I, and I know you're probably talk a little bit about this in your, in your presentation, but um, I've always struggled with uh, how do you, 
How do you start to break down those barriers when the when you when you're operating in a culture of blame? That I know I have become very frustrated in those environments before and feel like I haven't operated in the most efficient or effective manner and I'd love to know how we you know just how do you start to work through that when you see that blame culture or you're or you're in it how do you start to work out of that yeah it's uh, what a good question um <clears throat> a couple things that come to mind and uh, obviously there are no perfect answers for every culture because every culture is different but I think a process or a principle that, that you know we try to work around and work with is uh, is this idea that that um, you know as leaders and you know the the concept of leaders leading leaders leaders following leaders as leaders we the first thing that we know right away is that our people emulate our energy. So, so, you know, people, you know, I had a, a, an agent, he was our agent, once tell me, and he had a, a degree out of Harvard, he was a bright guy. He said, um, what I've noticed is that uh, after about four to six months after a coaching change, the team, the players take on the personality of the coach. And so the number one principle of, you know, uh, helping, uh, well, I guess you and I would call evolving uh, a blame dressing room or a blaming dressing room is that it starts with us. So, our, and, and that, that's such good news because you and I can take responsibility not only for our body language, but for our actual language and the voices that we can influence. So the number one opportunity of leadership in today's world is to, you know, have people watch what we do. And the number two opportunity is to influence conversations. So one of the things that we do in our process, and obviously this, Ryan, is a a full day, two day, three day process, but we actually help people understand the language of their culture and how to shift that language. And, you know, you and I are going to be at our conference. Uh, we're going to be, you know, talking to some of the most amazing people in the world. And we'll touch on that process around shifting and, and how to actually uh, have influence, deep influence within the conversations that we're having. And, and actually, you know, moving those conversations in a positive direction. So I think those two uh, principles uh, that I've noticed in, you know, in my life and in my career are absolutely critical to leadership. Number one, people are going to do what they see in us. And number two, people are going to become what we say. So it's the words and the actions of leadership that has high influence. Yeah. So what I hear you saying is um, uh, do what I say, not what I do can be a very detrimental behavior to an organization if what you do is not positive. Oh, boy, that's well put. So so let me <clears throat> sort of come around with that with those same words and, and that is the actual leadership comes from you know that solidified message of 
do what I do and please, um, you know, do what I say. So our, our, our actions and words mm. have to be aligned. Absolutely. Yeah. But more importantly, because people, people see the hypocrisy, uh, in, in that leadership opportunity, uh, if they're not aligned and, and let's give people grace. Uh, you know, we've all done it. I, I've, I've been the leader that says do this, but I haven't been doing it myself. So we all live there at times, but I think that idea that just to know that people are watching, so, so what message do we want to send with, you know, with the things that people are seeing? And even more important, the energy, people emulate the energy of the leader. So what energy do we bring to to work? And we'll do a little tiny piece uh, during our time together on how we show up. Right, like what's what does a game face look like, and and how how do we actually, you know, um, be in that position of, of preparing to play? Um, and then the second thing, though, and it's not only just what we say, although that's brilliantly important, uh, it's also uh, our understanding as leaders of how to shift conversations. And Ryan, we, we have a process where we can listen in to people and hear their uh, energy, you know, and their and their words that are what we call below the line, and actually work to shift them above the line so that they can uh, you know accomplish the goals that they want and and if we're in sales uh, you know we're going to also help accomplish the goals that we want you know i had never i mean it seems it seems very intuitive now that you say it but i don't know why i never really i don't know that i've really ever wrapped my brain around this idea of or or thought about it in the way that uh, uh, how closely people do mirror or mimic the energy of the person um, who structurally is 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 the leader of an organization, and and you know, and, and you're talking, you're giving the the examples about your own playing career, and I'm thinking about my own. I actually, you know, I I, had, I just have never really thought about this way, but I think about when I was in college, I had three different coaches in four years. My first coach was amazing. He's the reason I went to the school. And we had a great year, just missed the playoffs by like two runs, or, or we're actually making it to the NCAA tournament by two runs. Um, you know, all good, whatever, that happens. Um, he gets a new job and leaves. Take, he's gone. The next guy that comes in is an interim guy and kind of like a goof, like a little over his head. The team, same yeah. talent, you know, we brought in new recruits, couple seniors left, but I would say talent-wise, basically the same, you know, level uh, at each position, uh, we, we, we fall apart. We, like it becomes more goofy and stuff because the coach was a goof, you know, not a bad guy, just he wasn't the other coach. He leaves because he's not yeah. really qualified and we get this other guy in and he's like a drill sergeant and the team reacted so poorly to it. Um, and I like look at it and I, I just always thought like, I just always said to myself, geez, that last guy was kind of an a-hole, you know? But like when you really think about it, yeah. it was we were mirroring his energy and it's not who we were. And therefore the whole ecosystem, the team fell apart. Wow, I, I had never really, I'm like on the couch now. I, uh, you know, I had never really thought about it that way. Um, but man, you can see that. It, that is really, really true. So, okay, so here's my follow-up question for you. So let's say 
Um, sure. Let's say I am, uh, in this case, I'm in an insurance agency and I'm a, I'm a producer. So I'm not, uh, I'm not the, the principal or the owner of the agency. I'm, I'm a producer. I'm a salesperson in the organization. Um, and I see some of this negative cultural aspects, you know, whether it's directly from leadership or just leadership is more agnostic or indifferent and you see this. So you're not technically or structurally a leader in the organization, um, but you want to kind of start to change things. You want to start to move forward. You see opportunity in the business. So so you don't want to leave. So let's take that option off the table. How do you start to make these changes? Are there things that you can do when you're not structurally the leader, but you want to take, you know, you want to start to drive this change? Yeah, that, that is an awesome question. Um, and um, here's what I know, and I've, I've been in that position before, so I've been an assistant captain at the NHL level. I've also played on teams where I didn't wear, a, you know, a letter. And so I'm not in a positional a leadership a, a leadership position. Um, and so one of, one of the keys, I think, is, is our understanding of leadership. If we believe that leadership is positional, then we're stuck and we are going to have a, a, a very difficult life. <laughs> so, so, you know, if, if we believe that we'll never be able to have high influence on anybody until we become president, um, then that journey is a tough one. And so there's the key. It, it all comes down to our belief. And so the, the key concept is to start with our belief system in our mindset, and, and we, we spend lots of time in that area. And and the reason is that if we believe that leadership is not position, oh, now let's not, let's put on the table, uh, Ryan, that, that there still has to be an org chart, and, and it's important that we follow our leaders, and I'm not saying that there should be a rebellion here. I'm saying that the capacity, growing the capacity of leadership across an organization is the best way for organizations to win. So that idea brings us to the belief system that leadership is influence. So wherever you are today, uh, ask the question, what kind of influence am I on our culture? on our sales, on our people, on the direction of our vision. So what influence do I have today? And and it's pretty simple if you look at, you know, do I, let, let's look at energy. Do I supply or do I suck energy? And you've been in dressing rooms, Ryan, where uh, you know that players uh, have done both of those. You've seen lots of players that you love that were suppliers of energy to the direction of the team. You've seen, unfortunately, many players that you've played with that actually have sucked energy because of their selfishness right out of the team direction. And so that would be my first question that I would ask myself, you know, where am I at today? Where am I starting? And, and am I supplying energy to the direction of the company or, or am I sucking energy from the company? The second thing we'd look at from an influence point of view is, is proactively, how can I actually, um, 
increased positivity in this culture versus negativity in this culture. So, you know, are the things that I'm excited about, um, you know, things that could actually influence people. And we do a whole piece. uh, We have a, a model we call the thinking tendencies model on the five mindsets that actually allow people to see positivity versus negativity in their personality, in their, uh, it's not really their personality, it's more of how they activate uh, positivity and negativity throughout their life. And those mindsets are very revealing of the language, in the language that people use. So I would very simply stop there and say, number one, you know, are you supplying or sucking energy today? And then what do you want and how can you change that? And then number two is really this idea of you being an influence where you are and what kind of, how much positivity can you bring into the vision, uh, the culture and the people of your company? Ugh, I, I, this question of am I supplying energy or sucking out of the I think everyone who's listening to this I hope that and if you're listening to this show you're, and you're putting in the time and effort to, 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 to take in what we're doing here, then, then there's a pretty good chance you're probably supplying energy to your organization. But and, and I'm assuming, Brian, that this is probably this can this changes from day to day on, on a smaller level, too. Right. I mean, there could be days where you show up and you're just in a bad mood. And and maybe if we just asked ourselves this question every day. Right. Am I supplying or sucking energy? You know, it can help us turn around even those little micro moments where where maybe we're 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 having an impact that we don't necessarily realize uh, on the company. Even if even if in general we supply energy to a company, you know, we all have ups and downs. And man, that question it just it makes complete sense to me. You're either there's there's no like middle ground. You're either yeah. giving to the company or you're taken out, and 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 one helps grow and one doesn't. Yeah, and and, and I'm uh, you you nailed it. There there is no perfect person. <clears throat> we don't supply energy a hundred percent of the time. It's more of a, a a question just to get a feel for you know where I'm at today, and then where do I want to be, and and how can I get there. And, and so the the supplying and sucking energy is a very interesting process. We actually work with uh, leaders. Uh, around, you know, building a concept that we like. And, and it's it, I, the reason I like it is it, it, it sort of reiterates what you're saying. You know, uh, leaders have to make choices on people who suck energy out of their team. And, and the two choices that are always on the table, Ryan, are, you know, firing somebody or doing nothing. <laughs> and and leadership is pretty good at both of those. And what we recommend, and we're not asking anybody to let anybody go, uh, what we recommend is a third option uh, for leadership to think about, and that is to how do we isolate the energy of people who are sucking energy out of our team? And that is a great question for leadership to think about and to come up with four or five different solutions because that gives us a middle ground and that starts to build 
a process where we don't have to always fire people. We can actually, you know, get them in a position where we can coach their best. And part of what we do from a coaching point of view, uh, you know, is, is, is offer this option. And then if at the end of that process, you know, you have to take drastic action and you do, but it gives you that, that opportunity. So you're a hockey fan. So let me give you an example. Uh, let's say you've got a 30 goal scorer on your team who is, you know, you can't, you can't trade that 30 goals away. I mean, you need that 30 goals on your team for your team to win, but you know that because of the attitude and the mindset and the selfishness of that player, unfortunately, you'll never win a Stanley Cup with that player. So now you've got some some options. You've got some things you've got to think about as a leader. And we like this idea of thinking about, okay, so so how do we keep the 30 goals but isolate the energy, the sucking of energy, you know, from the team? Uh, obviously, the first move is you want to have long conversations with the player around does that player know that they're sucking energy from the team? And from there, you're going to build a process depending on how they respond. So so we like this concept because I, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, people to be amazing salespeople, sometimes we come across as having too much ego. But that, that connection between ego and confidence is such a fine line. We need confidence to sell, but we can't have too much ego or come across as egotistical because then well, we're not going to enjoy, uh, you know, the culture that is there to support us. So that maybe gives us, comes back to business and, and connects the, the, uh, the circle from sport to business. Yeah. Man, that's that's awesome stuff, Ryan. I am uh, I'm I'm so pumped that you're coming. You know, uh, for for you guys listening, for your, for everyone attending the conference, um, Ryan's going to be doing a keynote on Monday morning, and then is actually going to dive in deeper on some concepts in a, in a breakout in the afternoon. So you're going to get so much of this stuff. It is, I mean, th- these are these are the biggest issues, and and the best part about uh, Elevate is that. Um, we go we go high in our keynotes with these really phenomenal um, strategy and mindsets and, and and cultural aspects of our company that are so important. And then in the afternoons we dive deep on tactics and and give you that full spectrum. Right? I want to ask you one more question before um, before we get away, and uh, it's it's more of just like a fan question. I, what was it like the first time you pumped one in the back of the net as a pro? Like, th- just to me in hockey, you know, and I've hit home runs and and done, you know, had had moments in sports and all that. But but to me, the fact that when you put one in, that horn goes off. It's like you can't. Like as a fan, you lose your mind every time the horn goes off. So it's like as a player, I can only imagine what that is like. I'd love to just, you know, whatever you can share on that feeling, I would love to know. Well, this I may disappoint you here, Ryan, and and uh, we spend a lot of time with high performers, have, have you know, having a conversation around what you just asked. Um, in, in the world of sport, and you know this, uh, the world of hockey, let's get specific, 
Uh, you're so much in what Chick sent me high calls the flow zone. Yeah. And that's actually one of our five mindsets. So we're in flow. You're so in flow at that time that you barely feel anything, right? You're happy afterwards. Yeah. But yeah. as that puck goes goes into the net, you know, it's just a process. It's it's part of who you are and, and you're happy. I mean, I celebrated after it was awesome. I couldn't, you know, that was exciting to get that. I was fortunate to score early in my NHL career. And, uh, and you know, I think it was my second game in Los Angeles. So it was nice to get that off the, you know, sort yeah. of off your back. Uh, so because sometimes when you don't score early, then what are you thinking about the whole time? You know, I haven't hit a home run for, you know, 25 games or I haven't, I haven't scored a goal in 10 games. So, so it was nice and I'm not, I'm not trying to downplay it. I, I love that. And, and I do remember, you know, the sort of the noises and the voices, but at the end of the day, as a, as a pro, you're, you're so much in flow that uh, a lot of the emotion it's, it's high emotion, but it's different. Yeah. And a lot of the uh, fan emotion, uh, I, I didn't experience only because I was in that zone. No, that makes a lot of sense to me, that answer, because, um, you know, when I and I had a feeling it may be something like that. I just as a fan, I find there to be no more electrifying point scored than the (laughs) hockey goal, Um, uh, you know, because the home run. I mean, you hear the crack of the bat, and obviously you kind of have a feeling when you hear that sound, but there's still all that time where the ball's in the air, and that and the hockey goal just happens so fast, and then that horn comes on, and it's like, whoever came up with the horn sound, and I don't know the history of the horn, but whoever came up with that was a genius, because it's like the sound yeah. to like make a fan lose their mind. So, it's, uh, it, that's cool. I no, that, I can Ryan. appreciate I, that. I, I, I had never thought about that, but you're right. When that horn comes on, it's pretty special. Yeah. It re- I mean, I've been to countless games. I uh, I watched the Sabres, uh, this is back in the Breer days, play against the Flyers in Philadelphia in the second round of the playoffs, um, and the Sabres were up 3-1. to one. Um, So there was a possible closeout game, or no, they were up 2-1 to one at the time. And... Um, and I'm in like, I mean, it, Philadelphia in the playoffs for hockey is like I'm rolling in to uncharted. I mean, this is like this is where I don't want to be, right? But <laughs> but at the time I couldn't get tickets yeah. to the home games because I was living in DC. So so I go to this game and uh, man, it was it was just fun. I'm sharing this story. No one listening probably even cares. But um, so I go in and uh, I didn't want to wear a Sa- my Sabres jersey because I-, I knew that I would get like beers dumped on me and stuff so I wore a Buffalo Bills jersey like whoever I had at the time because um, I was like okay if that got beer spilled on it uh, so I go in we're in the second to last row and it is like walking into a war zone and uh, the Flyers end up taking like a five to one lead and and we're getting beat pretty bad and um, you know all the you know, we're way up in the bleed, so we're getting pounded. People are just yelling at us, and half the crew takes off. And I'm literally the only – me and my buddy who's a Flyers fan are the only one that stays. So I stay for the last, like, five minutes of this game. And um, oh, I'm going to forget his name. But uh, uh, Greer, what's his first name? Oh, man, he, he was he was a good uh, 
No, it doesn't matter. He uh, he stick checks one of the flyers right at the midline and uh, and goes top shelf for uh, for a breakaway goal. And you know the, the guy didn't even really chase him because they there was like three minutes left and they were up by four goals. But I start going crazy. <laughs> Um, and as I'm walking out, the Flyers fans are like shaking my hand because I actually stayed for the whole game. It's like one of my best hockey memories of all time. Um, it's why I love Good that sport well, so much. Well, let me let me tell you my story about playing in Philadelphia. <laughs> um, and it goes like this: I, you know, I played there in the late '70s, and I was beat up many nights on Philadelphia ice. Okay, so. Uh, I have a different experience being in Philadelphia. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. Well, <laughs> hey man, I appreciate it so much. I uh, I'm so thankful that you're that you're coming. It's going to be tremendous. I appreciate your time today, and uh, and I wish you nothing but the best as we roll into the conference, and then we'll get to to meet in person in a few months here. Sounds good. Really excited uh, to be with you and to, to be with your people and. And, you know, the, the keynote and the breakout are, are certainly part of what we're going to do uh, with your people, uh, Ryan. But I also want your people to know, everybody to know, you know, just grab me. I mean, if we're walking down the hall together, let's let's uh, ask those fan questions. Uh, you know, let's connect. Uh, Jenny and I love, uh, love people and, and love to be in a place where we can help them, you know, drive their best games. So uh, feel free to grab me anytime. Awesome. Thank you so much, man. If they show love, I'ma show it back. If the catch is too small, I'ma throw it back. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that. All right, yeah, let's do that again. If they show love, I'ma show it back. If the catch is too small, I'ma throw it back. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that. All right, yeah, let's get into it. Smash hopes, half empty, not his glasses broke And I'm the captain of this crash boat So when it's time to sink or swim, I always choose to do the backflow I know that not a lot of humans are as sharp as I am My modesty's my greatest quality, it's not I'm lying I know I'm only just alright with this hard of rhyming No, I'm not applying myself, in fact I'm hardly trying But just imagine what would happen if I stuck to rapping Man, I'd probably have a helicopter and a couple mansions With some guard dogs and a bunch of fans they love attacking Probably not, but it's fun to imagine I can't complain of where I'm at, I'm just happy to be here I'd be ecstatic if we happen to have a repeat here Thanks to Pro Leader, I'm rapping the heaters while passing the reefer Man, that's what I call having a breather If they show love, I'ma show it back If the catch is too small, I'ma throw it back I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for that
chance that I finally find some romance with the fly little mommy who invites me to dance. Come on. So if she shows love, I'ma show it back. But if that catch is too small, I'ma throw it back. I've done a lot, but I ain't got a lot to show for.